memories that I can recall growing up, but the ones that I do, the most fond memories that I have uh, take place uh, in a little uh, spot of grass in Whitney, Texas, known as Iron Springs uh, Christian Camp. There was no trees uh, and no wind, only sun and lots and lots of it. And yet I have so many fond memories. One of my earliest memories I have was on Thursday night when we had skit night. And there's one skit that was played out over the course of several years, and it was done enough times, and it was just catchy enough that I just could never get it out of my memory. And so some almost 40 years later, I still catch myself humming and even singing this song, this skit that was played out by a couple. And it went a little bit like this. There's a hole in my bucket, dear Liza, dear Liza. There's a hole in my bucket, dear Liza, a hole. Well, fix it, dear Henry, dear Henry. Well, fix it, dear Henry, dear Henry, fix it. And this is how the song started out, and it would go over and over. There was a hole in the bucket, uh, he said to Liza, and so Liza said, well, fix it. And he says, well, what do I fix it with? And she says, with straw. And he says, but the straw's too long. And she says, well, cut it, dear Henry. And he says, well, what do I cut it with? And she says, well, cut it with an axe. And he says, but the axe is too dull. Well, sharpen the axe. Well, what do I sharpen it with? You sharpen it with a stone. And he says, but the stone's too dry. And he says, well, wet the stone, dear Henry. And he says, well, what do I wet it with? And she says, with water, Henry, with water. And he says, what am I going to put the water in? And she says, the bucket. And he says, there's a hole in my bucket, dear Liza. And that's what I remember from my childhood. In 1961, author Joseph Heller describes this cyclical situation. In his story, Doc Danica describes a pilot who tried to plead insanity in order to be deemed unfit for flying dangerous combat missions. But the doctor observed that any pilot who had the forethought and understanding that a mission was dangerous just proved that he was not insane. And therefore, he could be able to fly. The name of the book? Catch-22. So how do we get out of this vicious cycle that we find ourselves in, whether it's Henry and Liza or Dr. Danica and a pilot trying to get out of a dangerous mission. Well, honestly, there's not many of us who are trying to be deemed insane. Well, that's actually way too easy to go after, so I'm going to leave you all free on any comments I would want to make about that. Most of us aren't trying to avoid combat, but there are cycles that we get caught in. For the church in Thessalonica, they were struggling with opposition, and yet they were called to be a light in a very difficult and dark situation. 
Paul had just been on his second missionary journey. In fact, in the course of that journey, he stopped uh, through Macedonia, and there he, he started the church in Thessalonica. And in Acts chapter 17, we have it recorded of his, his trip there. We know that he was there at least three Sabbaths, three weeks, but if you look at some other things that went on, he might have been there as long as three months. Nonetheless, the time was too short. Because of opposition, he was ran out of Thessalonica before he wanted to leave. And there he ended up in Athens, and he and Silas and Timothy wanted to know what was going on. He was anxious, he was nervous, he was worried that this new group of converts, this new church that he started and he loved so much, he was afraid that they were going to get caught in that downward spiral and and that the oppression and opposition around them from the pagan people in Thessalonica would cause them to go under. And he was so worried about that. And in fact, it talks about he tried over and over to go back to them. He says, I wanted to go back, but I couldn't. Satan wouldn't let me. And he says, finally, when there was nothing else I could do, he says, I just had to figure out. He says, I sent Timothy to find out how you were doing. And it goes on to talk about that the surprise and joy he felt when Timothy returned and said that the Thessalonian church was strong in the face of opposition. And so Paul now sits down to write his first letter to the church in Thessalonica. And quite possibly this might have been his first letter that we have that is written. It's filled with love and joy and hope and encouragement. So to help the Thessalonians avoid this downward spiral that the world was throwing at them, he talks about three things. The what, the how, and the why. He says, okay, here's what you need to do. He says, you need to focus on your work, on your accomplishments. Think about those things. Be diligent in that. The second thing he says is, okay, not only focus on your work, but focus on the labor, the process of doing it over and over again. And the third thing he says is, have endurance. Never give up. Now those are three good qualities that we should all focus on. And outside of a religious setting, that's what makes up a really good speech. Or maybe a commencement when you're talking to a group of graduates of, hey, remember to work hard and do it daily and endure, go over and over again. But Paul is not simply writing a commencement speech. Instead, he wants to talk not only about what you do, but he says how you do it. And listen to what he says as he starts out this letter in chapter 1, verse 3. He says, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He says three things. He says, okay, you're supposed to work, but how do you do that? He says that your faith produces work. I think it's, it's pretty much understood that people 
are not motivated by lack of results. Now that is insanity. We are motivated to keep on because we have faith in what we're doing. If you lose faith in what you're doing and who you're following before long, you're going to stop working. And the second thing he says is, love prompts labor. We do things for people that we love because they are people that we love. Think about the sacrifices that a mother will do for their child. Even for a child who can be unruly and disobedient, we see the mother continuing, continuing to show love and continuing to labor for that child because she loves them. The last thing he says is that hope inspires endurance. We keep going because we have hope of something greater. This was literally played out this last Friday night at Watson Stadium. With just over 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter, the Hobbs Eagles football team was down 14-37 to against the Artesia Bulldogs. There was no hope of scoring twice as many points in one-third of the time. I'm a weird math person. I like to think about math. As I was looking at this, in the first three quarters, we had scored 14 points. That's giving us a little edge. That's five points per quarter. We had less than a quarter left, and we needed 23 to tie, 24 to go ahead. It just mathematically was not going to... You could not extrapolate that out long enough to say, we have a shot of winning this game. And I wasn't the only one thinking that. Everyone felt the hopelessness. The large homecoming crowd had at the very least lost interest. Many of them were already leaving the stands. Some of you are in this room today. You got up and you left because you said there's no hope they're going to lose. The people who were still there weren't there. They weren't watching. They were talking to other people about something more interesting than the shellacking that was taking place down on the field. The last four or five people who were still watching the game could not get excited. In fact, at one point, the, the Eagles had a pretty nice little run of about 20 yards and nobody clapped, nobody cheered. I don't know that they even noticed, but if they did, it wasn't worth putting two hands together to make a noise for the team. And Jennifer looked over at me and said, look, there was a good run and nobody even made a noise. And the reason is that there was no hope. But then it happened. A stop by the Eagles defense. Coach Mills, way to go, bud. I, I just want to say, 
Way to go. I, I, I'm cheering for you as much for those kids down there, but a great stop by the Eagles defense led to a punt by the Bulldogs, which led to a block punt by the Eagles, which led to a missed tackle by the Bulldogs, which led to a touchdown by the Eagles. In a matter of just one play, in just a few seconds, the Eagles scored seven points. Half as much as that they had scored had scored the last 38 minutes. And there created the tiniest little spark. Several plays later, an interception turned into what we call a pick six, which meant that the interception went into the end zone for another six points. And the team and the entire stadium woke up. Two Amazing catches by Samaje Cotton from a sophomore quarterback put the Eagles in the lead with only minutes left. The defense held strong and Hobbs won. As I sat back, I realized that I had watched one of the most unbelievable comebacks and those young kids, those teenagers out on the field participated in an unforgettable lesson. Never, never, never give up. We hear this, we talk about this, we even talk about it on Sunday mornings. We read about it in the Bible. God comes to His people. He talks to them. Jesus comes to His disciples and He says, have courage. Don't be afraid. Don't give up. But it's one thing to hear it or even read it. But it's another thing to participate in the belief and the idea that we should never give up. I thought, those kids out on the field, they will never forget that moment. For the rest of their lives, they're going to talk about how they scored 28 points in just 8 minutes to come back and beat the Bulldogs, a team that they probably weren't supposed to beat. Well, they haven't beat them in a little while. They beat them at homecoming. And people started watching and you could feel it and you could sense it. And I just hope more than anything else, because at the end of the day, the points on the scoreboard don't matter. The one thing that they'll take with them is don't ever give up. That's a lesson that they can have with them forever and ever. I hope you were at the game. I hope you saw it. I hope you got that sense of, you know what? We just keep on trying. They had every reason to stop. But someone made an extra effort. Somebody decided that when they're losing by 23 points with 10 minutes and 21 seconds left in the game and the ball is about to be snapped and it's about to be punted over their heads and end up 50 yards down the field, they said, not on my watch. And they fought to get past 10 other people and get in front of the punter to block a punt. That would result in a touchdown. They didn't give up. And the one decision made by one person on the opposite end of the football who said, I'm going after that, changed everything. The course of the game was changed 
because a spark was started by one person who said, I'm not just going to go through this moment. I'm going to fight for it. This is what I'm called to do. And they could have just as easily said, nothing good will come out of me trying to get past this guy in front of me. It's not going to do any good. But they didn't give up. They kept pushing forward. And that thought led to an action that created a completely different outcome that not only affected their 10 other teammates on the field or their 40 other teammates on the sideline, but thousands of people in the stands got to participate in an amazing victory because one person said, I will not give up. In his letter to the Thessalonians, Paul had instructed them on what to do. He says, work, labor, and have endurance. And then he instructed them on how to do it. How do we work? You do it because you have faith. Well, how do we continue to labor on? It's because you love. And how do we have endurance? Because you just keep on hoping. But the most important thing Paul did in his letter was He inspired them, not just on the what and the how, but on the why. More than anything else, Paul wanted to remind them that Jesus was coming again. I want to close out with a passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 14. It says, We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. Verse 16, For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Okay, that's better than a 28-point comeback. I'm sorry, Mike. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. But this is so much better. You feel like you're losing? You feel like you have no hope? Things are going terrible in your life. Don't give up. Never give up. Christianity is not just about what we need to do. Well, we got to go to church and we have to be nice to our neighbor and we need to pay our taxes and we probably should drive somewhere near the speed limit and all these things that we're supposed to do. Christianity is not about the what. And it's not just about how we do it. We do it because we love, we have joy, and we have hope. No, no, no. It all begins with the fact that Jesus Christ, Son of God, came down from heaven. And He gave His life. And He said before He left, I'm coming back again. Now, I don't know what that looks like on a Sunday morning. But I know what that looks like on a Friday night. I saw it. I saw what happened when people realized 
that we were going to win. People stood up. They screamed. They yelled. They held their babies in the air and shook them. We won! We won! Go Eagles! And so we sit this morning. And it's hard to see. And you can't give up hope. But you have to believe. Folks, we have won. The deficit, the 23 points, the 89 points, the 4 billion points, the messed up marriage, the, the, the struggling job, the issues with our kids. Oh, it's just so overwhelming. But we have won. You want to know why we can call out victory in a time and a place like this? Because Jesus is coming again. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in His wonderful face. And the things of this earth will go strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. This morning, we're, I'm going to ask you to, to join with me. Now, you don't have to yell. You don't have to get out the pom-poms. But I want you to imagine that you've just now learned that not a game, but your life has been turned into a victory from certain defeat because of Jesus Christ and the fact that He's coming again. And so right now, I want to ask that you would stand right at this moment. I want you to stand up. If you agree with this, if you believe that we have victory because of Jesus Christ, I want you to stand and join with me. We're about to sing a song of invitation, a song of encouragement. I want this to be a song of celebration and remembering that Jesus Christ is coming again and we have won. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah! Lynn, come lead us in song.